Activia offers a range of yogurts which are a delicious way to look after your gut health. From the fruit range with carefully selected ingredients to no added sugar and 0% fat offering, as well as a cereals range, there's an Activia for everyone. Made with a unique blend of five ferments creating an irresistibly creamy texture, each pot of Activia is a source of calcium, making it the perfect addition to your daily routine. Activia helps support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry. Welcome to the Real Health Podcast with me, Carl Henry, where every single week we're aiming to give you top tips to lead a healthier lifestyle. And on this week's show, we're going to look at family nutrition eating healthily and how portion distortion is expanding your waistline. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by one of Ireland's leading dietitians, Orlet Walsh. Orlet, welcome to the Real Health Podcast. Big question to start with. What's the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? I, I suppose in some ways it's quality control because um, when it comes to a dietitian, it's a protected title. So you have to have specific qualifications to uh, be able to call yourself a dietitian. Um, so dietitians are either good or they're great because they're that, that's quality control and they have to have certain expertise. When it comes to a nutritionist, it's not a protected title. You can call yourself a nutritionist. Um, and... Some are amazing, some are world leaders in nutrition and then some are appalling. Um, and the problem is, is that sometimes people who have no qualifications at all or no understanding of nutrition um, call themselves nutritionists, go out in the media, talk about nutrition and that's where nutrition myths come from. Okay, so for, to qualify as a dietitian, you're probably talking... At least four and a half years. Four to six years, probably. Yeah. There, thereabouts. A nutritionist could be a weekend course or not. Oh, or no course. course at all. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't have to have any... Yeah, anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. There is a big takeaway already. If you're going to take, you know, advice on food, dietitian's where it's at. Anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, and that's really, really important. What are the, the issues with your clients or with the public that are becoming the biggest ones that you're mo most frightened of in terms of problems, in terms of food or in terms of, in terms of, you know, nutrition? Well, the biggest worrying thing is that people have this really, it's a bad relationship with food. So food makes them fat and food gives them diabetes, food gives them heart disease, food gives them cancers. Like they're fearing food. So the relationship with food is, it's, it's so unhealthy and that's my biggest worry because people go oh well to be healthy you have to cut out a load of things or well, that's a classic one isn't it it's like three or four times a year post christmas uh, it'll be pre-summer probably in around now as you're listening in you're yeah. thinking of the, the beach body on the, on, on the summer september has become a big time yeah. i think for it as well and then the, the lead up to christmas the, the little black dress or the kind of the, the, the christmas November, par yeah. party season they're key things and people go all or nothing yeah absolutely and it's you see food is what actually keeps you slim it's what keeps you healthy it's what tastes good we build our social life around it sure i, I don't need to wear a watch my, my belly will tell me when it's lunchtime do you know and I think people's relationship with food is, is becoming 
worse and worse and that's my biggest fear because you've got so many people with um, food myths so ingrained that they're getting sick from them so for example orthorexia where people take the whole notion of clean eating far too far um, and fear sugar like it's, it, it's um, a proper toxin that's going to immediately make them ill or you know that they feel that people are addicted to sugar but if if that was the case then why is no one going to the cupboard and getting a bag of granulated sugar and eating it with a spoon do you know <laughs> so it is it's, it's it's where these kind of nutrition myths have become ingrained in in vulnerable minds um, whether that be young or um, older people and, uh, and eating disorders or disorder eating results and that's my biggest worry and that's what I'm seeing more and more of I think the clean eating trend is a worrying one I, I totally agree with you on that but I, I loved it at the start it made so much sense it made nutrition sound simple. Eat more things that you could rob from a farm. What could be more basic <laughs> than that? But then it, it kind of, it became this cult nearly following. And like yourself, then I just grew more and more, like hatred for the, the, the term. It's a good word. It's a strong word, but I like hatred is good. I think that, and you know, you, because you see it online, you see the yeah. influencers are pushing it and they, their selfies in the gyms and the selfies of the food and, a, most of it's not real for a start. Yeah. B, it's lit and, 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 you know, edited a certain way and all the rest of it. And I think that it's people who are influenced by it. Um, the millennials, uh, the yeah. snowflakes, I think, a lot of the time. And they're buying into this kind yeah. of fad of exactly that. They're being afraid of anything and being afraid of, of you know, you had a great article on pasta. There was it last week or the week before. They're afraid <laughs> yeah. of eating carbohydrates because, oh, it's going to make me whatever. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Um. Talk to me about, a little bit about diabetes, and that's very much the buzzword of the moment that we're seeing in terms of type 1, type 2s, um, and the rise in obesity, and the fact that diabetes yeah. is really coming up with it. I suppose for our listeners, let's make it really simple. Um, first of all, what is it, What and then what's the relationship in terms of food? Okay, well, firstly, type 1 diabetes is not the same as type 2 diabetes. They're completely different, and in some ways, it's unfortunate to call them the same thing. Um, now, I might be even more biased than that, because my sister has type 1 diabetes, and, you know, the amount of people come up to her and say oh you know you shouldn't be eating that that has sugar in it and she's a type 1 diabetic which is completely different in fact so much so that I always say it to her I'm like should you be eating that you're type 1 diabetic and she goes should you be eating that you're a dietetic but we have this banter between us but so type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease yeah. um, where basically the pancreas an organ is in secreting insulin which is a hormone that controls uh, blood sugar blood mm -hmm. carbohydrate type 2 diabetes it's it's a bit more lifestyle um, based. So 90% of people are going to be overweight who have type 2 diabetes. 90%? Yeah. Wow. And, but maybe even 85%, but it's still the majority. Yeah. Um, now, there are people who have a healthy BMI and healthy body Com uh, composition and have type 2 diabetes but it's where the insulin just isn't effective anymore and the blood sugar or the blood carbohydrate if you want to call it uh, rises in the blood and when the blood sugar levels in the blood become too high they start damaging the body so they damage the eyes the kidneys the nerves the blood vessels and that's why most people with type 2 diabetes will die from heart disease but also in the run-up to them dying of heart disease, they might lose limbs, they might lose their yeah. eyesight, they may have to do, um, go to the hospital and uh, get dialysis for the kidneys, mm -hmm. you know, every every other day, you know. So it is a huge, it has a huge impact on someone's quality of life and quantity of life. So as waistlines expand, you're yeah. at an increased risk of type 2 diabetes with a, with, a high, with a high refined sugar diet, that'd be fair to say? Well, when your waist... Um, 
when there's too much fat in and around your waist. The problem is, is there's too much fat in and around your organs. And if someone was in and around you all day, you couldn't get your work done. And it's the same with the organs. When there's fat in and around the organs, it, they can't do their job. But the other problem is that fat in and around your organs isn't just lying there. It's quite active. It's secreting things that cause inflammation. And inflammation is, I guess, what you could say that uh, the, the soil, the conditions and diseases, the seed for them grows in. Um, and the problem is, is that that's where type 2 diabetes grows from. It, it's it's uh, very much due to too much fat in and around the organs and on the body in general. Um, what would be, um, in terms of obvious symptoms for, so if anyone listening in who may have a, you know, a large waistline, they may yeah. have a lot of visceral fat, which is that fat around the, the, the centre. Um, are there any obvious kind of things they should look out for if, if, to go to their GP or anything like that? Yeah, so when the blood sugar... When your blood sugar levels become too high and chronically, like so they stay too high, your body tries to get rid of that excess sugar. So you start peeing out the sugar and that's where the diabetes word comes from, sweet urine, I think it's Greek. Um, so people are peeing more because they're peeing out the sugar and because they're peeing more, they're thirsty more. So they're actually incredibly thirsty. Um, it used to result in weight loss and that's how people knew they had type 2 diabetes. But now because most people are gaining weight all the time, it actually used usually results in weight maintenance for people. Um, but the it all can it also can affect um, so thirst, um, urination, but mood as well. Mood mm. and energy levels is a big thing. So the energy, you know, people are floored. So they they don't obtain optimal energy and they certainly don't sustain it. And their mood can be greatly affected. So when your blood sugar levels are running high, you tend to be quite cranky really is the best way to describe it. Okay. So I'm gonna pull it away from from diabetes now. Um, in terms of children, yeah. Do you think they are or aren't getting bigger? They are heavier. Yeah, they and are. have more issues around food than we've ever, ever seen before. before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the issues around food is a, an interesting thing, and I think social media can drive that. But in the same way, social media can be used as positives and actually help reverse that. Um, but yeah, children are overweight. So one in four. Um, some research is even looking like one in three. Um, it's really hard to pick out your child as being overweight because if everyone's overweight, you know, it, it, the, your child just looks the same as everyone else. Um, so it's normalising know, now, I it suppose. It is. It's normalising it from a visual point of view. And the problem, you know, even the studies show that even mums and dads of obese children can't necessarily pick it out so the only way to know if your child is overweight or obese really these days is actually ask your GP to plot them on the growth charts and charts and track them over time and see you know see how they're doing and what tips could we give to listeners who have families who want to get healthier um if I was to and you'll hate me asking this yeah. but if I was to ask you for your top three tips for improving your family's health and my, my own opinion I think yeah. one is eating together yeah. at the table together without social media, without phones, without TVs. That's challenging though, Carl, because the thing is you've got two... Okay, so a mum or a dad could work late and therefore not get home until eight or nine and the kids are asleep. That's challenging as well because... Um, Oh, like even in a healthy family that mum and dads are often just taxi drivers bringing mm -hmm. their child from here, there and everywhere. So if the child has 
um, activities in the nighttime, like football training, they might be coming in at half eight yeah. and having the second dinner, you know, where they might come in from swimming and then, you know, so that is challenging. But I do agree you should do it as much as possible. As much as possible. But um, I think for the most part, if people were to keep it really simple and use their own hand as a measure, you see, we've got portion distortion in the country. Portion so distortion. Let's just, let's, just, let's just give that about five seconds of its own. That's a lovely term. Portion distortion. I love that. But it's brilliant. It, <laughs> and it's so true, by the way. <laughs> it is so true. So you see mums and dads and they're plating these big hunker plates of food where, you know, the child is eating as much as them, but half their size, you know, and that's really worrying. So if we were to keep it simple and say that, um, you know, the carbohydrates should take up a quarter of the plate, the protein a quarter and the fruit and veg should be half the plate. Um, I think even if people were to look at their meals and go, like, is my meal, like, are half of if we look at my meals are half of them fruit and veg because I don't think half of every meal is fruit and veg for a lot of people and is there the same amount as carbohydrate of carbohydrate as protein so if okay, you look so they should match they should that's match. a real irony isn't it like we load it up on potatoes and rice and yeah. pasta and then might be a little bit of chicken in the corner I know? do find that <laughs> potato is one of the few things that we eat in the right portion as long as it's not crisps or chips but the slice of pasta like the whole plate is carbohydrate and we dollop some sauce on top or rice the whole plate is carbohydrate and we dollop some sauce on top so it's actually going no the carbohydrate portion has to be a quarter of the plate and everyone has a measure with them so a child's carbohydrate portion should be the size of the plate fist and the same as the mum and the same as the dad and the same as the brothers and sisters so we all have our measure with us you know um, the protein should take up the same amount of space so again a clenched fist and there should be twice as much fruit and veg so the fruit okay. and veg should take up the space of two clenched fists okay. if we kept it that simple at each meal you know most of us would our body composition would improve the other thing is water get water into kids the amount of kids that think they're hungry but they're actually just thirsty, thirsty. It's, it's phenomenal and there was this cool study and I'm still trying to find the paper because I was only talking to the researcher who did it but she went into schools and she just put a pee chart on the back of doors in primary schools and um it was basically the colour of pee and it said... Which if is for hydration levels. For hydration yeah. levels, yeah. So kids actually just had to look at the back and if they then looked at their wee and they said, oh, you know, it's, it's darker in colour, I have to drink a glass of water. And the overweight and obesity rates within that school went down. Really? Yeah. Wow. Now, Just simple. Listeners, there is a lovely little takeaway in terms of if you have children, if you have families, maybe that could be a nice little way to go to. Because, it's, again, it's about, and something we talk about on the show with our guests a huge amount, and it comes up time and time again, is the fact it's almost like a measurement. Yeah. If you can measure something, you're more likely to be healthy. And I suppose in hydration, that's a really simple way to measure it. Just yeah. look at the colour. As hydration, and I, I believe, like, I know people probably won't want to come to my house in future, but I actually think that, like, having a pee chart in the back and a hydration chart going, drink some more water if your pee is this colour, is a good prompter for people. There's also, a, which is probably taking it too far, but the, have you heard of the stool chart? Oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. so, you know, you have <laughs> rates of the stools being, like, diarrhea to constipation. If you have children listening <laughs> in, folks, this might be one of those times where you just block their ears. But... You know, well, it could be, you could use that as a marker as well. So if they have little constipated stools, it's like eat more fruit and veg. So then they know that. Could you imagine households in Ireland talk about a stool chart at the dinner table tonight? <laughs> I would, I'm actually going to put a stool chart in my bathroom going forward. Definitely. <laughs> 
But yes, but yes, it is important. So if people are listening, just give us that again about what should they be looking for in terms of what, or what should they... Which what the should, plate or my no, weird charts? No, we're going to the steel, the steel charts for the moment. We'll say, okay, we'll say that. so there's there's different types. Just look it up, British Bristol steel <laughs> chart. And if you're more constipated, you do need more fibre. So just like with the hydration chart and to drink more water, if the stools are like little rabbit poos or... Um, kind of uh, dry, you know, difficult to pass poos or else you're not pooing regularly. It's a case of eat more fruit and veg and that mm-hmm. will solve it in most okay. cases. Fantastic. So I, let's pull it back to our three simple takeaways in terms of the family. So one is portion distortion. I love that. I mean, that's just brilliant. That's my favourite quote of the day. It's brilliant. Um, okay, so portions first. Uh, fistful, that's your guideline. Everyone has one. It's measurable. Uh, water and increase the, the quantity of water for hydration. And I suppose three... Make Monitor it, your poos. Go on, say it, Carl. Education is probably where it's you at. You can tell your intestines are not into di- No dietitian would struggle with this conversation. Well, I'm not struggling now, but in ter- but I suppose it's, you're a little red. It pulls it back to well, that I was cycling at the weekend. You see, it's a bit of sunburn. <laughs> I know. Um, education though is the key bit, really, in yeah. terms of if it's pee charts or stool charts or whatever, or if it's seven a day, yeah. or if it's fistfuls. What we're trying to do is you're trying to get your children to be slightly more aware. But a Mindful better knowledge of, it, yeah. of what they're eating and what they're drinking. And it's that yeah. education component, which is, I suppose, re- which is really important that they don't maybe get enough of. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that as adults, we we don't need to count calories, but we do need a calorie awareness. And in the same way, we need a physical activity awareness. And if you have the awareness of both, generally your body composition will be be healthy or at least get healthier. Okay, so let's pull it back to habits, and bad habits. Yeah. I think when it comes to eating, when it comes to, to drinking, we had alcohol or water, people have lots of habits and that you know that they shouldn't have. What are the classic ones you see? What could, should people do to get around them uh, and to avoid avoid making them? Well, more telly, more belly. Oh, you just keep bringing them out. This is brilliant. <laughs> we know that the more TV that you watch, the higher BMI is uh, likely direct, to be. Direct causation. There is a, yeah. Wow. A direct correlation, yeah, between the two of them. So the more TV you watch, generally, the more at risk you are of being overweight. Like, kids are watching over two hours of TV each day on average. A day? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow, okay. So, simple one, watch your TV intake, try and bring it down. That's something we have done, I think we watch a huge amount, but um, we're trying to reduce it during the week now. So when I go home at night, I get home around half eight, uh, we put the radio on. Uh, I'm a big John Creedon fan. Shout out to John, in case you're listening. Um, and we turn Radio 1 on and we just listen to it for 35, 40 minutes. Yeah. And then if you want to watch a box set then or something, we'll watch it. Nine times out of ten, we don't. Yeah. We actually just chat and, you know, it's 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 a really nice way to end the, uh, to, to kind of calm the day down from a busy Absolutely. day. Absolutely. I think people should match their exercise time with their screen time. So if you did that, you would be so much healthier. So if you were to, actually monitor how much exercise you're doing and if you're doing three hours a week then match that with your screen time you're only at three hours because the longer we spend looking at a telly or looking at our computer or looking at our phone you know the, the less likely we are to exercise mm-hmm. I put up these posts on uh, Instagram Facebook and Twitter and it was simply if you have time for Twitter or Facebook or Instagram you have time to exercise and the amount of people that messaged me and be like, you're, you're so right. If I just gave up a little bit of screen time, I would make time for exercise. So it get it gets rid of that excuse. Okay, anyway. so screen time is one habit. What else? Yeah. Um, the other is the blind spots. 
So everyone has blind spots when it comes to their lifestyle. So unless you track, for example, how much alcohol you're drinking in a week or how many treats you're having, you you probably, depending, it's subjective. If you're in a good humour, you'd be like, oh, I have barely any. <laughs> if you're in not good humour, you'd be like, I'm having far too much. So the only way to note or to realise how much you're having is to actually chart it. Okay, so track uh, it. Track it, I and think. And do you have a way, because I know we had a show a couple of weeks back with, with Jess Kelly and Alex Meehan in talking yeah. about tech. And we kind of discussed that in, in terms of uh, one or two of the apps for, for tracking foods. Do you have ones that you recommend? Are you old school? Or are you notes on the, on the phone? Or are you, what way do you recommend people to track them? It has them? to be different for the person yeah. because I barely have my phone on me to the annoyance of most people in my life. Um, so I couldn't track something on my phone because it just, but a piece of paper in a pocket, yeah. that's what I could use, you know. Or um, I, I love little notebooks. <laughs> just really get my kicks out of buying a new notebook. And like having a notebook where you track just say your health and monitor these things so even recently I, I was like good am I am I getting enough water and I started tracking it and then I realised I was getting far too much you know and I think that's important as well because you can have too, mid, too little or too much of a good thing so um, I think tracking is really really helpful um, I you know I track my behaviours all the time just sit looking for blind spots mm-hmm. in case that I don't realise how good or um, how bad I'm being Okay, so screen time is one. Uh, tracking is a second one. Um, I'm going to prompt the third one in my own opinion, see what you think of it. Uh, one of the things we try and recommend our own clients to do, and we do it mm. ourselves, is we do one big food shop yeah. a week and yeah. stock up anywhere we spend time. We stock up with all the foods that we want to eat. So if it's work, if it's home, if it's in the car, if it's my, my bag over there in studio, I've got there's an apple there, there's water, there's other bits. Um, because I think people if they don't map it out and plan it out a little bit. Yeah. So f- like for Sunday, I'll cook a go- you know, I'll cook loads. There's always stuff in the, in the fridge to, to, to eat. So when I go home, I know my food is there or if I have a busy day, I can, I can track it. Should, is that something pe- in terms of nutrition and in terms of food that is a good thing to do or not necessarily a good thing to do? Absolutely, because it stops people going into the shops and buying things on a whim. So if you go into a shop hungry and you're only in there to get dinner, chances are you'll get something else to snack on before dinner, um, which may be healthy and may not be healthy because any extra food, no matter where what it is or where it comes from, can make you gain fat, can make you gain weight. So um, I do agree with it in that sense. Um, one of my favourite things, though, if I was to bring in a third that was completely my own would be the speed of eating. Oh yeah, good. Because it's, I think that if people would just slow down, they would hear their body say, I'm full, stop eating. And they would also be present when eating. There's, you know, mindless eating is a pet peeve of mine. And even with friends and, you know, I'm I'm lucky to have friends for a long time so they won't leave me hopefully. But, (laughs) you know, when I see them eating too fast, I'm like, stop it, slow down. Like you're complaining of reflux, you'll be burping like mad for the next hour. You'll have pains in your belly, you'll be bloated. Just slow down and mindfully eat it. Enjoy what you're, it's about enjoying your food a bit more as well. If you mindfully eat your food or present, um, you know, take smaller bites, chew more and put the knife or fork down or put the spoon down between mouthfuls. That's my question. So, so, you know, I think it's, you're bang on. I think, you know, slowing down the food you're eating is great. How do people do it? So, I have a 10 to 20 rule. So, you (laughs) eat, each mouthful is the size of a 10 to 20 cent coin. You're to chew the food. 10 to 20 cent. 20 cent coin? Yeah. That's like ickle. Yeah, but the more dramatic you think that is, the more you should be doing yeah. this. 
I know, yeah. I'm, so, learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. This is good. So <laughs> mouthfuls the size of a 10 to 20 cent coin, 10 to 20 chews per mouthful and wait 10 to 20 seconds between each mouthful. So how many people do you know don't put down their knife and fork between bites or don't put down the spoon with even porridge or something? Or don't put down a sandwich like they actually don't put their sandwich down until it's all gone and then they don't have to. So it's about putting the knife and fork or the spoon or the food down between bites. OK, let's just run through that again for the listener, because I'm, I'm processing in my own head as we're speaking. So in terms of the size of the food to reduce the quantity of food going in. Yeah. Uh, perfect for you know 10 or 20 cent coin. Clever. And then 10 to 20 seconds of chewing the food. 10 to 20 chews of each mouthful, yeah. 10 to 20 chews of each mouthful. And then 10, 10 to, to 20, 20 seconds, seconds between mouthfuls. Before taking the next one. Yeah. It slows down the whole process and it makes you more mindful of what you're eating. It makes you enjoy your food more because it lasts longer. Um, and it also helps your gut function. You know, your gut tends to get irritable when we eat too fast. That's re- I re- that's really nice. The 10 to 20 thing is cool. 10 to 20. Um, I came up with it around two years ago. I was in Italy with my now husband and he was eating dinner so fast. And you know when you go on holidays and you're eating dinner out, like that's, that's it. That's your entertainment for the night. The sooner that's over, the more you just, well, that's it, you know. And he, <laughs> How long does dinner with you? If we were to go for dinner, so how long would that take? Long. Yeah, because I talk a lot as well. <laughs> So there he was chewing so fast. I was like, would you slow down? So anyway, I told him about this rule I had and he was there chewing. And then I was looking at him and he was smiling and chewing at me. And I was like, oh, my God, he's pretend chewing. He's already swallowed a mouthful. (laughs) And even now I'm like, are you pretend chewing? Show me the mouthful. There's food in there, isn't there? But yeah, so that was the 10 to 20 rule. So 10 to 20 um, rule. So the bites have to be the size of a 10 to 20 cent coin. 10 to 20 chews of each bite and 10 to 20 seconds between each mouthful. I like it. I like it. Here's a really important question. Crucial question of the whole the whole session. Um, I was going to use the word treat. That's probably the wrong word <laughs> to use in this scenario. But what's your treat food or your treat meal? Um, I, I'm so glad you didn't say cheat meal. That bothers me. Cheat meal is so annoying. Like if you have to cheat on something, it's the wrong relationship. Um... No, so my treat, I don't mind the word treat so much because it is a treat, I suppose. Um, I love chocolate. Love it. And so I are only we have it. dark chocolate? Are we talking milk chocolate? Are we talking, because we, we had Hazel Wallace in here a few, a few weeks ago and she was saying, I asked her this very same question and she said, well, I have two squares of dark chocolate every single night and then the odd glass of white wine at the weekend. Oh yeah, that two squares. Like it's never one and it's never three. Like what is with that two square rule of dark chocolate? No, I, you know, no, I, I, I prefer really good quality milk chocolate. I don't want anything in it either. I don't want biscuit taken away from it, dried fruit, nuts. I just want a plain. I'm after the chocolate and the chocolate only. So that would be my <laughs> my absolute, yeah, that's my favourite thing. Um, and I only have it when I really, really want it. Because when I have it, when I don't really want it, it's meh, it tastes okay. But like there is nothing more delicious than chocolate when you really, really want chocolate. How long does a bar of chocolate take you to get through? Oh, I'm so annoying. I do my own mindful eating. I can make it last for, like, annoyingly long. You know, even as I, when I was younger, I remember my siblings uh, with Easter Sunday and, you know, their, their egg. And my brother would have already found his and eaten his. And my sister, you know, her milky way, she used to go mad for it. But yeah, no, I'd make it last. Long. Like, I could make a bar of chocolate last a whole week. And it's it's to the utter annoyance week. of people. Oh, but my mum's the same. <laughs> 
I grew up in a family where, you know, when you were finished eating something, you you just put a peg on it. You know, so a week that is okay. That that that's got to be a real health podcast record. A week for a bar of chocolate. I'm so impressed. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, let's put it back. Let's put. Yeah. Let's make it really straightforward. If our listeners were to take a couple of really simple things away from today's interview, I think these will be it. You can tell me if I'm wrong. One is the portion distortion thing. Yeah. So watch your portions. Use your fistful. Really yeah. clever. Um. Second one is to chew your food. Yeah. Uh, the ten twenty. Slow like, it down. Yeah. Like that just slow it down. Really good. And I suppose the third one is very much that. It's that um, real health is balanced and that real health yeah. has got the chocolate or, you know, I, I just balanced normality in it. It has got carbohydrate. Everything is in a real um, is in a real form. I think the final point to take away is that they take their advice in terms of food and in terms of nutrition from a registered dietitian, someone who yeah. is actually qualified. I didn't realize the process myself took so long. It takes six, up to six years or potentially more to get qualified to be able to give the advice out. Watch where you get your advice from. Listeners to the podcast will know that that's something I'm in. It's my soapbox of sorts. I try not to have too many, but that's certainly one of them is where you get your advice from. Make sure it's qualified because it's so, so important. Um, if people want to check you out, I know you write for The Independent every, uh, generally every, every Monday, Monday in yeah. Health and Living. And you post lots of stuff on your social media accounts. Like you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, at Orla Walsh, I presume. Um, Orla Walsh Nutrition for Facebook and Instagram and then Orla C. Walsh for Twitter. Well, folks, your challenge from this week to next week is very simple. See if you can make your chocolate bar last for a whole seven days. And I'll be really impressed if you do. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's chat with Orla Walsh. And Orla, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, that's all we have time for on today's Real Health Podcast. As ever, I'll be back next week with more great guests and advice about healthy living. And in the meantime, remember, if you have any questions whatsoever, it's realhealth.independence.ie at carlhenrypt on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud at any time. Have a great day and thanks for listening. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of The Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry.